You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. North Korea is stealing all the bitcoins it can find. The Equifax breach continues to spread. Countries other than the U.S. are increasingly involved. We've got some Patch Tuesday notes. The U.S. Director of National Intelligence addresses the Billington Cybersecurity Summit. And did a Russian lawmaker just cop to the influence ops President Putin has so piously denied? I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, September 13th, 2017. North Korea, hit by international sanctions over its missile and nuclear tests and the explicit threats it's been making against many countries, including but not limited to South Korea, Japan, and the United States, ramps up its raids on Bitcoin sources. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are attractive means to accumulate and launder cash that sanctions are designed to interdict. Many of Pyongyang's recent raids have been directed against South Korean Ethereum exchanges. The Equifax breach is proving a horror show, expanding in slow motion. We'll hear a little later from Forcepoint's chief scientist, Dr. Richard Ford, but in the meantime, it's been known since late last week that the Equifax breach extends to individuals outside the U.S. The first reports of non-U.S. citizens' data being compromised arrived from Canada and the U.K. The number of British subjects thought to be affected is by some estimates as high as 40 million. It now appears that the breach extends to Latin America, at the very least to Argentina. Security firm Hold Security has told Krebs on Security that it discovered signs of a large Equifax database in Argentina that's proven as exposed and unencrypted as the other Equifax databases hackers hit in the U.S. This may be a case of exposure as opposed to hacking, But whatever the case may be, it's bad news for Equifax and the consumers whose information the credit bureau has touched. Early indications suggest Argentina won't be the only Latin America country affected. The breach has placed authorities and others on heightened fraud alert. The e-commerce fraud prevention company Forter told Yahoo Finance that it's seen a 15% spike in fraud attempts over the last two months. The evidence is circumstantial, but timing suggests to them that this is connected to the Equifax breach. Equifax will surely take a major financial hit from the breach and its poorly reviewed response. The Poneman Institute has estimated the credit bureau's probable loss in the tens of millions, but that should be interpreted as a low-end guess. Earlier today, I spoke with Dr. Richard Ford, chief scientist at Forcepoint, for his take on the Equifax situation. So as we record this, it is uh, Wednesday mid-morning here on the East Coast. What what do we know about uh, this Equifax situation from a cybersecurity technical point of view? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. I think technically 
there's some um, confusion about exactly which vulnerability and what happened once the vulnerability was uh, triggered. So I think we uh, are pretty sure it was an Apache Struts vulnerability, which is part of their web services. But what happened after that is slightly less clear. And so often in these cases, that that's what happens quite quickly after a breach. There's a lot of lack of clarity as to exactly what happened and how the attacker moved from the initial access to the target they wanted. People are pointing out that um, Equifax has not done themselves any favors, that it seems that in every turn they've handled things in perhaps uh, the worst possible way. Yes. I think I have a lot of sympathy for them in some ways. When you've sat in one of these crisis war rooms, you know, it's like blood is coming out of your eyes. There's a lot of uh, panic that goes on as you try and handle the press, you try and handle your customers, you try and handle your cybersecurity. So in that respect, you know, I have sympathy. With that said, I think it's very important for companies to have a crisis management team where you have these plans in the event of a breach, here's what I'm going to do, here's the comms plan. And in fact, uh, I've worked with companies in the past who have actually sort of done those internal war games. So that the time they have to do it for real, it's not the first time they've ever thought about it. I imagine uh, the folks sitting on the board at Equifax wondering, you know, what the heck happened here? Um, how could it be this bad and how could we have done this bad a job with our security? If I'm sitting on a board and I'm trying to ask the right questions to my security team, uh, how can I have assurances that they're actually uh, taking care of business? So I think security from the board level is quite tricky. And I think that's a really fantastic question, by the way. Boards in general do think about cybersecurity, but um, there are a few things that can go wrong. Sometimes the information the board gets is filtered or spun. And so it's difficult for the board to get full visibility. And then the second thing is, I think that boards also face the same sort of cybersecurity fatigue that you and I face. So we feel like we're on the hamster wheel of pain, right? We keep pushing forwards. We're sort of running on that treadmill in place. And so that fatigue can also be quite difficult. So I think it's it's hard from a number of ways for the board to look at this cybersecurity risk because it seems omnipresent. And then so often, you know, you don't have that deep expertise within the board to uh, even know what are the right metrics, what you should, what metrics should the board be asking for from their companies to say, hey, you know, what are the right metrics for measuring cyber? Do you count instance? Do you count patch rate? Do you count days of risk? These things are difficult. So the lack of metrics, the fatigue, and the lack of expertise can become sort of this perfect storm that makes it very difficult for the board to do their job. In the bigger picture, I think one of the takeaways is, you know, do we really think that, you know, a social security number and a date of birth and a name is enough to identify me in, you know, 2017? And the answer is probably not, mm. you know, so thinking about how we can evolve standards might be more important because no matter how well folks lock these things down, eventually these kind of breaches are going to happen. If it's not here, it's there. If it's not the next place, it's the place after. And so thinking about ways that we can use technology to enhance identity is quite important. Whether this becomes the inflection point or not, we should be taking a long, hard look at, at how we do business, how we establish credit, and how we establish identity, and how we go about protecting that data. So I think that one of the interesting takeaways, by the way, from this breach is that data is an asset. But it's also a liability because you can't lose something that you don't have. Looking at the whole way that we deal with these kind of uh, pieces of data, how we protect them, and the lenses that we use to sort of look at how data flows throughout our company needs to change. So we need to do security a little bit differently. We need to think about how we establish identity for the purposes of things like banking as well. 
one of the interesting aspects of this is is this is a highlight that we focus too much potentially on threats. So it's about detecting a threat. It's about saying, hey, is this packet coming towards me bad? Or hey, is this piece of software vulnerable? Is it exploitable? Instead, I think what we need to do is to pivot a little bit and enhance those techniques with techniques that look at how data is accessed. So if you looked at how that process, whatever process it was that ultimately took that data, it was probably an anomalous access, right? Processes usually don't access that much data and they don't float it off off-site. And so refocusing on this sort of what we call the human point, the point of intersection between data access and data storage, how it's used, how it's accessed, can provide another lens that's less reactive, which provides a better way of doing security. It can augment the existing security systems you have. And I think that's quite an important point in this. Working through a purely threat-centric view of the world is sort of yesterday's way of protecting our data. And as data becomes increasingly mobile, especially with the cloud, we have to spend more time thinking about how is that data being accessed and what is the likely intent behind that access. That's Dr. Richard Ford from Forcepoint. Yesterday was Patch Tuesday, and Microsoft swatted 82 security bugs, 25 of them rated critical. One of them is a .NET vulnerability that's being exploited in the wild, reportedly to spread FinFisher spyware. The patches also address the Blueborn vulnerability, whose discovery was announced this week by security firm Armis. Some of our reporters are down at the annual Billington Cybersecurity Summit in Washington today. The sessions have been interesting, and they're discerning a theme that's reappearing in several keynotes and panel discussions, the general erosion of social trust. That includes trust in commerce, banking, government, politics, even ordinary human interaction online. That general erosion of trust that cyber attacks bring about may be their most serious and enduring consequence, going beyond IP theft, losses to fraud, or even infrastructure compromise. Director of National Intelligence Coates was among those who expressed this at his morning keynote. The adversary's fundamental goal is usually to destroy trust. That's especially true of the nation-states and the non-state ideological actors. And even the conventional criminals will take some disruption as gravy on their theft. And speaking of adversaries and disruption, a prominent member of the Russian Duma crows about influence operations... Vyankoslav Nikonov appeared on a Sunday political talk show in Russia, Sunday evening with Vladimir Solovoy. He wanted to sneer at what he called declining American power. As Mr. Nikonov put it, American intelligence missed it when Russian intelligence stole the president of the United States. Well, President Putin has roundly denied any influence operations, still less election hacking. So, for Mr. Nikonov's sake... We hope President Putin isn't a regular viewer. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI... The best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust Plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. 
visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. Joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Joe, welcome back. Um, I saw an article come by on Ars Technica. It was about um, the FTC, a call for the FTC to scrutinize a company called Hotspot Shield. Right. Uh, and uh, there's some folks who are alleging that they are intercepting traffic. This is a VPN service. Right. Um, it's the Centers for uh, Center for Democracy and Technology. Yeah. They they and did a 14 page filing, um, and basically uh, they're saying that Hotspot Shield, which is a free VPN service, right is collecting data and um, sort of channeling you to advertisers and, and so forth. A, a what kind of VPN service, Dave? A free. Free. Oh, so if you if you don't pay for something on the Internet, you are the product. That is correct. Um, and that's important <laughs> for everyone to remember. Uh, Facebook, you are the product. Facebook isn't the product. The product is you and all the marketing and advertising that can go to you. And that's, you know, I, I have a Facebook account, and I'm okay with that. Um, when you start getting into these VPN services, though, this is a site that is, or a service rather, that's that's purporting to say we will keep your information private, right? Um, but they're free, so they have to monetize this service somehow. And how they're monetizing it is is uh, allegedly from from what this report is saying is from intercepting HTTP requests and then targeting ads towards the people uh, who are using it. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that if that's what you agree to going in Correct. when you uh, sign if, up for the service. If you agree to that, that's right. I use a VPN service that I pay for uh, annually, and it costs me I think thirty five dollars a year mm -hmm. to use the service. And I don't think that's a very high price for, for what I get. You know, I did some research on which VPN service to use, and the, uh, there, were, there are a number of them out there that cost about the same. And, and this one was, I mean, I'm not going, I can't, can't plug one, you know, being from a university. But um, <laughs> this one had pretty good marks and has demonstrated to me that they're really interested in keeping my information and traffic secure, especially since at home I'm a Verizon user. Uh, and there's been recent um, changes in FCC policy that now allow Verizon to do what this VPN service is being accused of doing here, and that's to collect my data and target marketing towards me. Yeah, and that that really does rub me the wrong way because here here I am paying Verizon a certain amount of money every month for the for the internet and 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 television service and phone service, and that's somehow not enough. They need to they need to sell my traffic information. Right. So yeah, I use a VPN at home, and I use one that I pay for, so that my my traffic uh, remains my own business. Yeah, and I think maybe the point here is that I think when people hear VPN, they assume that what comes with it is a certain amount of privacy. And right, the, the point here is uh, 
it depends. Yeah, <laughs> it absolutely depends on on what you're what you're engaging in. And like you said at the top, if it's free, yep, they're making money somehow. They are making money somehow. <laughs> All right, Joe Kerrigan, as always, thanks for joining it's us. My pleasure, Dave. Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With identity orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge, and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K Cyberwire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey and share your feedback now.